Good afternoon. I hope you can hear me. If you cannot, I can't help it. <laughs> Usually somebody tells me at the end of the lecture we couldn't hear a word. <laughs> so thank you very much for coming this afternoon. We are here to celebrate Joseph Haydn and to talk particularly about his piano works, his keyboard compositions. I, I would like to concentrate on, on a few selected works that I will play for you on Sunday morning here. And uh, first I played for you a very early piece by Haydn, relatively early, from 1765, Capriccio in G major. It's interesting when we say it's an early piece because, you know, considering that Haydn was already 32 years old when he wrote this, let's contemplate that you know, Mozart would have written most of his compositions by this age, and poor Franz Schubert uh, would have been dead by this time. <laughs> uh, but development and, and an evolution of a composer is something very individual with each master and Haydn was lucky to have lived a relatively very long life indeed from 1732 to 1809 by the standards of, of that time this was a very very long and creative period. Um, so, prima la musica, dopo le parole, as they say, first the music, then the words. I'm always worried to talk about music because words are dangerous. They can be misunderstood. Uh, I would like you to take my words uh, at face value. I'm not a surrealist. So, when I say that I adore Joseph Haydn, you have to believe it. <laughs> Nobody should say that actually he was meaning that he hates Haydn. <laughs> there is no such thought here. And um, obviously I feel much more comfortable making music than talking about it. But, you know, after those Beethoven lectures, that we did a few years ago. Somebody came up to me from the audience that actually we much more enjoy listening to you talk than to play. <laughs> <laughs> and then there are others who feel the opposite and, and there are others who say we don't want to, you to talk and neither do we want you to play so <laughs> but i hope those are not pleasant not present here this afternoon so now let's concentrate on our subject which is haydn's piano music the capriccio that you just heard is a delightful composition this was clearly written for a harpsichord that's why I'm playing it on a piano. <laughs> and 
because that was still the, the dominating keyboard instrument in the 1760s. And as we progress in Haydn's very long life, then we will see that there had been a serious development in the evolution of keyboard instruments in Vienna, in Paris, and in England. And uh, Haydn was a very practical, a pragmatic composer in the best sense of the word. And he adopted his, his style and his, the way he composed for keyboard instruments according to what instrument he had available. The Capriccio is based on, a, on an Austrian folk song, Acht Zauschneider müssen sein. How do we translate this? There have to be eight to castrate a pig. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very, very profound subject, as you see. <laughs> but really profound indeed, because, because humor is something very profound. Uh, we had a great humorist in Hungary at the turn of the last century, in the early 1900s, Friedrich Karinti, and he had a very wonderful saying, which if I translate it in, into English would be something like, humor is no laughing matter. <laughs> and nobody practiced this better in musical terms than Joseph Haydn, and indeed later his pupil Ludwig van Beethoven. I think these are the two great masters of musical humor. So I don't want to analyze the capriccio because I need time for the later works, but uh, enough to say that everybody in contemporary Austria who listened to this piece in the six, 1760s would have been familiar with this song and its content. So they would know, they hear this piece. Everybody would react to this, that, aha, we know this song. This is a funny song. This is not a tragic piece of music. Today, of course, everybody present is an exception because you are all very musical. <laughs> I hope so. And so you would know that even with, if I, as a performer, I don't have to make anything theatrical here, not to make uh, facial expressions or just theatrical gestures, but it should be obvious that the character of this piece is comic. No question about it. No, nothing surrealistic that it's a comic piece, but actually he was thinking. He was not thinking anything. He just wanted to write a buon divertimento, something good entertainment. And what Haydn does then, he is using this folk song sometimes in its entireness and sometimes in fragmented forms, just little parts of it in different keys, different tonalities, different registers of the keyboard, and it's called capriccio because it's a capricious piece. There is nothing formal about it. 
no strict form. It's not written in sonata form or rondo form. It's a kind of a hybrid form that cannot be defined. And so let's just go through a little bit. song. Now comes a transition, a little bridge passage that leads to the next appearance of the theme. And now we reached the dominant and the theme enters in the bass. It's not a fermata, not a crown, but it's a written out rest, pose. But this is one of Haydn's main instruments when he wants to say something funny. Silence. We don't know what comes next. So then he's mixing these bridge passages with the appearances of the theme. Uh, and then in the middle of the piece, if you remember, because our musical memory is very important, that when we hear something, then we react to it, that we have heard this before, but in, in a different tonality or in, in a different... Uh, costume, different disguise. This is like a sleepwalker. He's going through tonalities and it's every modulation is totally unexpected. We don't know where he's going. And uh, if you add up the number of the bars, it's going to be 25 bars. It's an awful lot of bars. <laughs> but uh, this is not arithmetics. We are just uh, trying to follow this excursion. It's like a, like a, really like an excursion in the mountains where you, you are lost and you are looking for the way out. six-four chord of G-sharp minor, and the poor capriccio is in G major. We are so far away. You know, this is really very, very daring indeed for the time. Why? 
Liszt, he, he ends up in C major, which is the subdominant of the tonic. And then he can come back to the main theme. So this is the earliest example of Haydn's keyboard style, and it is really a, a wonderful composition. I'm so sorry this, this piece is so, so seldom played. Uh, it's good to talk a little bit about the fact that Haydn is still not appreciated enough. Certainly in London he is, he was also in his lifetime, but if you cross the channel and get to the German-speaking countries, then there are still huge problems. You have to speak up for Haydn, even today. And why is that? Um, for example, the piano sonatas. Uh, pianists do play certain piano sonatas, only about half a dozen of them, but when they play them, they always put it at the head of the program, the beginning of the program, when nobody is really listening. <laughs> the, the latecomers are not here yet. Uh, the pianist is not really warmed up yet, so it, it is really wasted, this wonderful music. And then they play this Haydn, and everybody said, oh, it's quite nice music, but nothing special. And now we can get down to Chopin and Liszt and Rachmaninoff, and it should really be the other way around. When do we ever hear a Haydn sonata in the middle of the program, or indeed to end the program? I will play for you at the end of this lecture and also of the recital on Sunday, the, the last piano sonata of Haydn, the E-flat major. And if this piece comes at the end of the program, and if it's hopefully well played, it is really a, a towering masterpiece. It's colossal. And if, it, if it's played at the beginning of the program, then, then nothing happens. It's completely wasted. It goes down the drains. So it's, it's, we are doing Haydn a great disservice to, to play him as warming up pieces. Not just pianists. String quartets do the same. Orchestras do it all the time. Haydn symphony and then a Shostakovich, you know. And the Haydn gets a polite little applause and the Shostakovich brings the house down. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to, you know, defend Haydn now against Shostakovich because I don't want to upset the Shostakovich lovers in the hall. <laughs> but, but it is really completely wrong and unfair. So we have to readjust this system and play Haydn at the end of the program or in the beginning of the program, or indeed, like we do this week, play all Haydn programs, because Haydn is one of the five, six great composers who can comfortably take a whole program in any genre, whether it's the piano sonatas, whether it's the trios, the string quartets, the symphonies, the masses. He is really one of the 
three, four greatest composers of all time. No question about it. Let me move on to the next piece, which is the piano sonata in G minor, written a few years after the Capriccio in the early 1770s. It is what we call a Sturmundrang piece. How do you translate Sturmundrang? Storm and pressure. It represents a stormy and tempestuous character of the composer, and it usually comes in, in midlife period of, of a composer. Like uh, for Mozart, a Sturm und Drang would be in his early 20s, something like this. <laughs> symphony. Uh, with Beethoven it comes a little later in, in his 30s, let's say something like the Tempest Sonata. Not just because this is called the Tempest Sonata, but it's, it's really a Sturm und Drang piece. And with Haydn, he was not even 40 years old, but the G minor piece is actually less stormy than melancholy. was the exposition. We, we have reached the parallel major of G minor, B flat, and then he repeats, of course, both halves. Um, repeats in 
classical music, in my modest opinion, should be taken very seriously. We are very easygoing with repeats today. Some performers feel they can, they have the liberty to observe a repeat or to leave it out, they can do what they please. I disagree with that completely because if the composer wrote a repeat, then there must be a reason for it. Uh, Haydn is a great architect. He has a fantastic sense of proportions. So if the exposition is repeated and then development section and recapitulation are also repeated, that contributes to the, to the overall balance of the piece and the proportion. If a, if a performer comes and takes out a repeat, then he or she violates the composer's design. And it is like an amputation. So, you know, it's very, we would not like to, to be without an arm or without another limb. We should take this very seriously. Uh, now, let me play for you the development section of this sonata. Interesting, no? Uh, if you think back now in the exposition, when we heard the second subject, it was very gentle and very mellow. And now we hear the same music in C minor, and it is really, here it's Sturm und Drang, very stormy. of recapitulation. Uh, what a wonderful mastery of counterpoint and, and polyphony. This is a composer who must have known Bach and Handel and C.P. Bach and all the past masters. 
crashing dissonance. This is such such modern music. You have E flat, F, and G together. It's really to, today we we take everything for granted, but we have to imagine ourselves in the position of a listener of the first performance. How how shocking this was. I mean, must have really uh, felt like all the hairs are standing up. And it's obvious, and history also tells us that Haydn was not a virtuoso pianist. So much the better. I am always interested in composers who were not great pianists. <laughs> uh, Schubert, for example, yes, everybody said Schubert was having difficulties playing El König or the Wanderer Fantasy, but I would have loved to, to have heard Schubert play the piano because it must have been really very, very beautiful. And also Haydn, maybe he was not a virtuoso pianist, but he must have been a, an excellent one. And uh, also he played all the string instruments very well. He, he, he could sing very well. He could conduct. He was an absolute musician. And a sonata like this is really not a, not a virtuoso showpiece. It's not even a concert piece, but it is written for the pleasure of uh, connoisseurs für Kenner und Liebhaber, so people who can play and people who enjoy playing. Uh, an amateur is, to my mind, somebody who loves music. Some professionals don't really love music. They, may, <laughs> they make a living from it. But sometimes I wish that professionals would be more amateurs in spirit. Um, this G minor sonata is in two movements and so it's a predecessor to several Beethoven sonatas which are also in two movements. The, the Mozart piano sonatas are never in two movements. It's very interesting and uh, Beethoven must have learned this scheme from, from his teacher and master, Haydn. Uh, even this little early sonata of Beethoven. similarity here. Let's admit it. The second movement is a minuetto. So again, nothing brilliant, nothing flashy, but, but a very deeply felt, very passionate music. sharp dotted rhythms and uh, very sharply articulated ornaments 
Um, those of you who were here last night, we played the trio in F sharp minor, the last movement. Uh, a very similar character. Also a, also a finale in that trio. The trio is much later, of course. It's from the early 1790s. But Haydn was thinking back a few decades when he wrote that trio. Um, now, let me continue with this menuet. Mm -hmm. again in B-flat major, the parallel major, and so this movement mirrors the structure of the opening movement, which also moved from G minor to B-flat major. intervals with diminished sevens descending then comes something like a consolation with G major and it's not just the contrast of major and minor and storm and consolation, but also Haydn changes the phrase length. He's a great master of musical asymmetry. You would expect on a four-bar question a four-bar answer, but he changes that to, to five bars and to seven bars and nine bars, always asymmetrical, never what you would expect. And then comes the answer, another five bars. Now we had a six bar phrase and you, you don't have to analyze this but I think as listeners you, you feel that nothing is regular and it's, to me it's a, it's a wonderfully refreshing feeling. Mm. Mm -hmm. 
criticism, it's, it's, an, it's a rhetorical element. So I feel with Haydn's music that there is more speaking than singing in it. And the, it's rhetorics, uh, like here. Now we are on the dominant, and now comes a little bridge passage. There's a crescendo with the opening motives, and in four bars. back to the minore of the main part of the minuet. And uh, now we hear the, the minor part with some variations. Haydn is a great, great master of variation form. Again, this is something that Beethoven learned here. The young Beethoven was very naughty when he said that from Haydn, you couldn't learn a thing. Later, he revised this opinion, and he became a very, very grateful pupil. But as a young man, well, it can be forgiven. Young people are rebellious. Uh, but here, let me play the variation. sixth chord appears for the first time, but only as a variation. And we will see in later compositions how important the Napolitan sixth becomes for, for Haydn. stormier and stormier and more and more Sturm und Drang. And then Maggiore, the major section, returns, but in a shortened form. And listen to the very beautiful poetic ending of this sonata. Very quiet, very humble, very modest. It just fades away. Thank you. 
this is really a musical language that there is a question, you can see a question mark in the air and that invites an answer, 